What's up, Avs fans? It's another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. I am your host, J.J. Jerez. Of course, with me, Arif Dean. We've got so much to talk about. I mean, got a couple games against Vegas to recap, some injury news to get into, and of course, let's look ahead at Tahoe. Um, so welcome in, strap in. We're going to talk some hockey with you, so get comfortable. Arif, thanks for hanging out with me this morning, of course. Let's get right into it. I mean, we got some Avs hockey that came back after the COVID break, right? Uh, came out, I would say they came out of the gate rather strong, at least stronger than I anticipated after the long break. Um, but, you know, it wasn't exactly the most ideal situation for the Avalanche with the long break. The Vegas had been kind of in the swing of things. They were on the second night of a back-to-back. But I just want to start off saying that that, that game seemed like a perfect setup for the under, right? It was a one nothing game. Avalanche, who hadn't played in 10 days. Vegas on the second night of a back-to-back, probably tired. I, I'm dumb for not taking the under on that one. Uh, I would go one further than that. It was set up for the perfect parlay of the under and Vegas money line. Yeah, Because the Avalanche, they just they had no chance, like you said. I mean, the odds were stacked against them in the sense where they hadn't played in I think it was 12 days between games. They had a bunch of guys missing on COVID on top of the fact that half their team was already injured on top of the fact that Kel McCarr was, you know, he, he must have stubbed his toe or something because the avalanche were away from team facilities for 12 days and McCarr came back hurt <laughs> on top of the fact that they had, like I just said, team facilities were closed for nine days. So they weren't skating. They weren't practicing. They were not in a rhythm. They weren't in the swing of things. There was just like, and they were playing the Vegas Golden Knights. They weren't coming back and playing the Ottawa Senators. They were coming back and playing pretty much the best team in the NHL. So the fact that they came out in that first period as good as they did was nice. And with, and it was great to see them kind of go in uh, toe-to-toe with Vegas and exchanging opportunities with them. And then it all kind of went downhill in the second and third period. It was a very boring game. Vegas got one nice shot in. The Avalanche gave Pacioretty too much respect and too much time to shoot. And then that was the only goal. So, yes, the under was absolutely a great setup. And then when you watch that game, you realize not only should I have taken the under, but the chances of the Avalanche winning this game were going to be very low. Yeah, just I hammered the Avalanche losing that one because that's what you're seeing across the league. I mean, when a team comes back from COVID and their long COVID break, they're losing every time. I mean, I'm literally yeah. every time. I'd have to double check the stats, but I'm following along. And, you know, we saw it the other day with a few teams. New Jersey got pummeled. Buffalo got pummeled. You know, that's just the way it's going. So no surprises there, but just all, all the more reason uh, that this season is just so stupid, in my opinion. I mean, there's so many stupid things going on left and right. But, you know, that's a different conversation. Let's stick to abs hockey here. Um, yeah. As you said, uh, as we both said, they came out of the gate pretty decent exchanged some chances it was a very defensive game from both sides though Uh, and you know I still feel very underwhelmed by this avalanche offense I still feel like they're not generating the amount of chances of course they were missing so many players and role players too uh, in the lineup so you got to give them some flexibility there some slack but I just still think there's a problem with the system they're running offensively but let's not get into that argument again Arif we already (laughs) you know we already beat that horse dead what I'm noticing that makes this team special, and I'm really, it's really coming up. Did you say, you said, you special. said special? Oh my I, God. Yeah. Ready? Let's hear it. The glass is half full <laughs> right now. From watching other games around the league, 
The difference between the Avalanche and other teams is the defensive side of the puck. The way the Avalanche are able to get the puck out of the defensive zone and through the neutral zone is second to none when you compare it across the league. That's what's putting this team and keeping them afloat. The offense, in my opinion, is utter garbage. The defense, I mean, you're, what you're seeing from other teams, they try to, you know, ring it around the boards and the puck ends up going backwards and below the goal line. With the Avalanche, it's never going backwards. The Avalanche sling it up. They're speeding up the ice, you know, and, and that just that defensive zone is really the difference maker between this team and the other ones. If they can just figure out how to be a little bit more threatening and dangerous on the offensive side, you know, I think the, the sky's the limit. But right now, Vegas, in my opinion, is the best team in the league. Yeah, the offensive side just seems like it happens in spurts. They'll go through a two, three game stretch where they score a bunch of goals. Obviously, they had seven and eight in two games, which inflates the numbers a bit, which, I mean, they deserve it. They're the ones that scored the goals. But it is a little bit concerning. I, utter garbage is a little bit too much. I, I can't go that far. But it is a little bit concerning to me to see something like uh, Kadri has eight points in 13 games. Rantanen has 11 in 13. They're not even a point per game right now. McKinnon's at 15 and 12, which is okay for McKinnon standards, but the three goals and the fact that the game, the second game against Vegas was McKinnon's first even strength goal of the season. It took 12 games. It was really weird. Burakovsky's got eight points in five games. Nichushkin's got three and 13. So while they are getting scoring from everywhere, it's also spreading their top players thin where it's, it's turning back into, you know, in a regular season, your highest scorer is going to have like 80 points and then second place is going to have like 65 or something like that just because. Granted, Makar does have 12 points in 11 games, but Makar's never going to play a full season apparently because he stubbed his toe last week. So, by the way, it's a total joke. Please, guys, nobody tweet that Makar stubbed his toe. <laughs> I'm just saying. But so that's the point of the – that's the offensive side of things. The defensive side of things, I can't help but agree with you 100%. It's the fact that these defensemen have so much confidence to skate the puck up the ice, to sling it up to the offense. It's uh, it's Byram coming in, doing what he's been doing. It's Gerard's kind of reinvention of his game and development of his game to being more confident doing it. Taves coming in and being just as good at it. Hell, Connor Timmins. I mean, he's quietly that guy that we don't really ever talk about just because there's so many other young defensemen. He's good at these things. Uh, not Joey, Jacob McDonald's been doing good at the, at that as well. So the reason why that is so important is because right now, Philip Grubauer's got amazing statistics. He is playing good. I am not going to take anything away from him because we will talk more about him. But the fact that he's facing, facing such a low volume of shots because of how good the defense is doing and how quickly they're getting the puck out of the zone helps with the fact that the Avalanche don't really have a real backup goalie right now. It helps with the fact that Grubauer can play as much games as he has been playing because he's just not facing that volume that he was a season ago even, let alone two and three years ago. So the defense is absolutely on on point right now. I agree with you on that. Uh, and and they're, they haven't even played with a fully healthy defensive core for nearly the entire season. It just seems like they're really deep. Right, and just the uh, confidence and belief and understanding of each other's of, of where they're going to be, right? You see a lot of D-to-D passes in the defensive zone from the Avalanche where I don't think other teams are confident or on the same page enough to, to do those as well as the Avalanche. When it comes to the goal-scoring, Arif, let me ask you a quick question. What would you say is the, the mark that you want to hit in any game to give yourself a good chance to win goals-wise? How many goals uh, do you need to hit? Three. Three. The yes. Avalanche have scored three goals or more 
only three times this season. Three goals or less, ten times. So I'd like to I'd like to see that threshold climb a little bit and, and kind of average more of the four goal, five goal range rather than the threes. I mean, you're you're seeing you're still seeing victories out of them, and they're three twos, three ones, but I, I still think there's there's just they so scored, much more. You said they've scored three goals or more three times and less than three twice. No, three goals or less ten times. More oh, than three, three goals, goals. Okay. Three more times. than three goals three times. And yeah, that is true because it was the seven goal game, it was the five goal game, and it was the eight goal game. So yeah, they've scored three ten times. I mean, three is usually that magic number, but you you kind of want to set yourself up for success and score more than three most games. Uh, just thinking back, I know they beat the Kings three to two. They beat the Ducks three to two. They beat the Golden Knights three to two. So that is actually uh, very good to see and very very nice to see. But you want to set yourself up to score. I mean, they shut out the Sharks also three nothing. But you want to be scoring more than three goals, especially if you're a team like that. Exactly. Uh, and and th- those are the goal spurts that I'm talking about. It's you know eight goals in one game. Uh, it's seven in one game, it's five in another game, and then it's a bunch of threes and twos kind of spread around, and then obviously a one nothing shutout loss. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that. I agree that they should be scoring a lot of goals more often. Uh, and I, I, I hate to say this again, but it's still so early in the season that maybe this is going to be the time where they start to take off. Maybe, because I, I mean, mean, we are already quarter way through. <clears throat> Yeah, we're already a quarter of the way through. So the way that the schedule has kind of worked this year, it's it's crazy that we're you know pretty much a quarter of the way through now. But they started off kind of slow. They started to pick things up. They put up seven on color, uh, seven on San Jose, another three on San Jose, five on Minnesota. Then they lost a bunch of guys to injury. Uh, lost that game in overtime when McKinnon went down, scored two goals and a two to one victory over over Minnesota when JT Comfort was your top line center. And then COVID happened. So just as they were starting to get their legs and get in the groove, they had a bunch of injuries. McKinnon was out, and then COVID happened. They come out of the COVID break. They get shut out one nothing. They beat the Golden Knights three two. Today's Friday. They did not play Thursday. They did not play Wednesday. Looking at the schedule, if this team can and it, this is a big if can stay relatively healthy because no one's going to stay fully healthy, especially not the Avalanche then this is going to be the time to get going because you are playing Saturday at Tahoe, Monday at Ball Arena, Wednesday at Ball Arena, Friday and Saturday at Arizona, and then you're going into a March schedule where you don't have room to breathe. So the Avalanche just had three days off between games, today being day three. They are not going to get two days off even between games until April 1st and 2nd. So it's time to really put up or shut up. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, uh, you know, they were kind of getting in the swing of things and then fell to injury. Um, you know, I think you'd be silly to think if that that's not going to happen throughout the rest of the year. I mean, we're a quarter yeah. of the way through and half the team's been injured. It's going to keep happening for the th- next three quarters, which are inevitably going to be a lot tougher than the first quarter of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. Well. But, at, but at least over the next three quarters, you're going to have t- a team that's been skating, that's in the swing of things, that has a rhythm. So when Belmar, you know, let's pretend McKinnon stays healthy, but when Belmar and Calvert and let's say McCarr, let's say Kadri, let's say Gerard, Joe, Landeskog, when these guys all miss games, at least McKinnon's going to be going. At least Rantanen's going to be going. At least we could hopefully start to expect McKinnon to be the guy that's putting up 20 points every 15 games or so. And, and scoring a lot of goals. We can't just point the finger at the Avalanche in that first game, right? I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury, Marc-Andre Fleury played his ass off and was unbelievable. I mean, that's the Marc-Andre Fleury that 
everybody loves, right? That's the Marc Andre Fleury at the top of a, uh, at the top of his game, who, in my opinion, is ha- easily one of the top three goalies when he's being consistent at that level. Yeah, and it's just great to see him continue to do what he does because he is older now. He's making seven million dollars. The whole Robin Leonard thing happened, and suddenly this is a guy that by you know the end of the season or next season actually not that soon, but over the next year or two can pass Patrick Wall for second place in total wins. I love Flurry. He's just an awesome guy. He's always a happy-go-lucky guy, and I'm just glad to see him playing so well. Granted, Robin Leonard is injured right now. That's why he's been playing, but if you had to ask me right now who the favorites are for the uh, Vezina Trophy, it's the two guys that played in that one nothing shutout, and Flurry is slightly edging out Philip Grubauer right now. Don't forget John Gibson. Yeah, but I mean, in the end, if if a goalie doesn't have at least a 500 record, voters are just not going to give it to him. I mean, Hellebuck, Hellebuck, you know, played his ass off on a terrible team last year, but he played his ass off to an above 500 record. And I just can't see voters, not that I disagree with you, I just can't see voters giving it to someone who doesn't have a 500 record, which looking right now, John Gibson is 5, 6, and 3 with a 919 save percentage, which is bonkers for a team that's won five out of 14 games when he's in net. Well, let's stick with it. On the topic of voters and goalies, who would you say is the Avalanche's MVP right now? I mean, you already touched on him a little bit. It's Grubauer. Hands down, right? He's, I mean, It's 100% Grubauer. He's, he's, fighting, just... he's fighting off the offenses. He's keeping the Avs in the game. And in that 3-2 win, the last game we saw against Vegas, I'd say he was hands down the reason they won. So let's let's talk, let's get into Grubauer a little bit because I feel like we haven't we've given him some acknowledgement, but we haven't given him the acknowledgement he deserves because right now he is the Avalanche MVP. I mean, I've said it a million times. It takes six players on the ice to play defense, which is what started this whole conversation. Is the defense has been strong in front of him, but having just his stability back there and and having the confidence and knowing he's getting it done. I, I, I was not expecting this type of play out of Grubauer. I mean, he's still kind of doing the sloppy things that drive me crazy, but he's getting the saves done, and he, he's honestly just holding down the fort single-handedly. It's his entire mindset. It's his entire focus coming into the season. Uh, you know, players are either are, 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 are either falling and failing or they're growing and they're playing great, and Philip Grubauer seems to have the right mindset. When we talk to him in the media, he seems to be focused. He's not getting as frustrated – Granted, he did next question a reporter once, but he's he doesn't seem to be getting as frustrated as he used to in the past. He's coming in, he's he's playing pretty much every single day. He's staying, knock on wood, relatively healthy, and he's playing pretty well. But it's the fact that literally there isn't a single time where a team is coming in on Grubauer, and it could even be a breakaway where you don't think in the back of your mind prior to the shot, he's going to save this. I mean, he's played 11 games and he's allowed 18 goals. He has a 1.64 goals against average, which is an amazing number. Marc-Andre Fleury has a 1.56, by the way. He has a a 9.36 save percentage. Fleury's got a 9.37, so they're pretty much on par. He's 8-3. He's made 264 saves over 11 games. He's just playing his ass off. He looks so good. And this is, again, what I was saying in the beginning. If it wasn't for the team defense and if it wasn't for that calming presence that Grubauer has provided, this team would be falling and they would be failing because without Pavel Francouz, you literally have one option, but that one option is giving you a 10 out of 10 performance every game right now, which is making it easier to swallow. 
I think for a second there in that second game versus Vegas, he was getting a bit frustrated because he was standing on his head. And, you know, the game before he stood on his head, no goals were produced. The second game, he I think he was getting a little bit frustrated with the offense himself. He's like, guys, I'm back here keeping us in both of these games against one of the best teams in the NHL, and you guys aren't you guys aren't backing me up. So I think for a while, you know, I saw him shaking his head a little bit in that second game. So good on the Avs to be able to pull that one out. I mean, they needed to win that one for him because he's hanging out. He's hanging. He's keeping this team in these games and you got to reward him for playing so well by getting a victory. Even you have to scratch and claw the way they did that three, two win. Yeah. And it's not even just the fact that they got a victory. It's the fact that they won in regulation which is a massive thing in the division format this year where the seven teams you're playing are the seven teams that you are fighting for a playoff spot. There is no outside competition. When the Avs used to play the Boston Bruins, if that game goes to overtime, just get the second point, try to get their overtime win so that it's not a shootout win. And it's as normal because Boston's points don't matter to you. They only matter to you if you're going to meet them in the Stanley Cup final. So to hold, to hold Vegas to zero points in that game, to get out of there and not give them a point... Uh, was awesome. It was nice to see. I'm pretty sure Grubauer was happy. I'm sure the Avalanche and the guys were happy to have done that for Grubauer. Uh, but by the way, just looking at his numbers, Grubauer has faced 25.6 shots per game. That That's used to be reasonable. first. That used to be a first yeah. period for Varlamov. <laughs> like this is how how far the Avalanche's defense has come over the last few years and especially this year like we always were talking about this Devon Taves acquisition and talking about how Eric Johnson needs to be healthy because when he is absent he is his presence is felt well Devon Taves has been good granted he missed a few games Eric Johnson's been nowhere to be seen the Avalanche have a bunch of youngsters there's a 19 year old kid in there and they're pretty much the best defense in the NHL right now and it's not you know it's not crazy to say that well, let's dig into that a little bit before we uh, talk about that last goal. Bo Byram, like you're mentioning, 19-year-old kid stepping up, and he's doing it with so much confidence. Uh, we've talked about it before, but it just it seems like it's growing every single game. He's He believes he's supposed to be there. He believes he's supposed to be one of the future's best defensemen, and he's acting like it. I mean, the, the way he's playing, the way he is not afraid to rush the puck into the zone, and he flies right past opposing defenses. Man, we've talked about it so many times, but... You can't help but feel good about Bo and Byram right now. Absolutely. And I, I'm sure you remember this last year. The, there was a trade rumor out there that the Devils were asking for Bo and Byram for Taylor Hall. And we're all like, no, this is why. This is exactly why. He got asked a really good question yesterday, and it was actually by Mike Chambers. But he gave such a typical hockey player response. And the question was, you're playing in the NHL. You're playing on one of the best teams in the league. You're playing big minutes. Guys are going down and you're playing bigger minutes and you're doing well. You're you know, assisting on game-winning goals. You're, you're playing with confidence. Do you feel like you've exceeded expectations of where you thought you would be at this point? I mean, he obviously deflected on the question and said, no, no, I'm just trying to go out, work hard, try my best, you know, get bucks in deep. The, the typical hockey answer. But it's absolutely true. I mean, who, who of us thought that a 19-year-old kid was going to come in here and play such a big role this early in his career well and as you mentioned with the trade rumors i think with everybody in their delusional mind talking about the potential of Sidney crosby coming over to the avalanche i think if and far away if that were to ever happen 
Bowen Byram's probably the guy that Pittsburgh is going to come after, right? I mean, that's the only thing in my mind that can justify trading a superstar is getting somebody like Bowen Byram back. And if that's the cost and if that's the price they're asking, I'm not for it at all. I don't think Bowen Byram yeah, goes I, I agree. I 100% agree. The other piece is Alex Newhook. If Newhook comes in and has the same impression right away, that's the guy. But at least that one's a little bit easier to swallow because you still have a Rantanen and a McKinnon that are still 25 and younger. Like these guys are not old. And you're still going to have you know future first round draft picks and forwards that you can add and you can trade for. But to trade a Bowen Byram, it's just, it's man. It's a mistake. It would be a like, huge mistake down the road. It would be an absolutely... Like it would be such a so the way that I see the Avalanche right now, you have McKinnon, you have Gerard, you have Byram, you have Taves. That is your top four going forward. You don't touch those players, and I know they're all smaller, but like I don't care about that anymore. And I and I know we talked about this last podcast episode or a few episodes ago. We said let's see how that works in the playoffs before I you know fully put the hammer down on this uh, opinion. But a top four like that is going to rival the top fours that we saw in the past of Subban and Yossi and Ellis and Eckholm in Nashville, for example, those great top four Ds. This one is going to be pretty damn good. And you shouldn't be trading any of those guys. You know, that leaves you with Eric Johnson, who doesn't really have much trade value. That leaves you with Connor Timmins, who could have some good trade value. Ryan Graves, who, you know, is pretty much an expansion kind of guy at this point. But you just, you can't trade those four players. Especially given the fact that after this season, you have Gerard and Taves for a combined $9.1 million, which is likely going to be as much, if not a little bit less, than Makar makes. And then who knows what Byram makes on his next deal, but I can't see it being too much, you know, unless he completely takes off. But if the Avalanche can lock this top four up for a reasonable cost moving forward, it doesn't matter who your bottom two defensemen are. You play the bottom two defensemen five to nine minutes a night like other teams have, and you go with a strong top four and you build around that. And, you know, even Sidney Crosby himself isn't worth breaking that up. Just because you love to correct me, I'm going to correct you real quick. When you named the top four, Uh-oh. you accidentally said McKinnon instead of McCarr. But easy mistake because they're both mechs, oh, right? Damn. But uh, as far as Newhook and versus Byram, you know, I think the biggest difference is Byram. You see what he can do in the NHL. You see not only can he hang, but... You know, he's got a, a ceiling that we haven't even seen. There's room to grow. With Newhook, I mean, you still don't know what he can do in the NHL. We've seen it a million yeah. times in NCAA forward doing well in the NCAA, steps to the NHL, and, and isn't as great as you thought. See Tyson Jost. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I, I'm not by any means overvaluing or overinflating what Newhook does, but I'm just saying that if he comes in and he has the same impression as a forward that Byram has had as a defenseman, I'd be inclined to trade someone like that. I'd be inclined to say, let's get rid of a young forward who's, you know, putting up points. And even if he comes in and scores in a full season, 60, 65 points as a rookie, you can still justify trading that for a Sid Crosby or for someone of that stature to bring into your team. But you just cannot justify it on the defense. Right. Line. That's kind of exactly what I was saying is if you yeah. want to trade new hook, go for it because you don't even know what what he's going to look like yeah. do not touch byram because you know he can yeah. hang you know he can be a contributor so and likely and likely a trade like this wouldn't happen until new hook is a full-time nhler so at that point we'll know if he's you know going to go more towards the jost route or if he's going to be a a great player right off the bat uh but it kind of reminds me one of my favorite trades in the nhl and it's it's uh you can see both sides of the discussion when you talk about who won the trade is dallas stars drafted jerome mcginla and traded him for an aging veteran named Joe Newendike. Newendike was still, you know, he was he was old, but he was still a good player. He helped them win that Stanley Cup. 
1999, and he helped them beat the Avalanche in Game 7 and then win that cup. But Jerome McGinley went on to have the career he did with the Calgary Flames, but Jerome McGinley didn't win a cup. And he got, you know, Game 7 close one year, and that's it. He won, an Art Ross, he won a Maurice Rocket Richard trophy. He was in the conversation for the heart. But who won that trade? It's hard to say, but if you're the Dallas Stars, you don't care about this kid that got away. All you care about is you brought in Joe Newendike. He helped you win a Stanley Cup. You got it. You did it. So that's what I would think of with somebody like Newhook. Is if you trade Newhook for someone who's going to come in and help you win a Stanley Cup, and Newhook goes on to win Art Ross trophies with the Pittsburgh Penguins, you don't care. Right. Not to mention, you know, when Newhook's finally established and in the NHL, you know, who knows where the Avalanche's window will be. Whereas, you know, if you make a trade for right now, obviously you got a a winning team on your hands and who knows where they'll be three, four years down the road when Newhook's finally established. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I can see Newhook playing some games later this year. Uh, I wouldn't be saying that except for the fact that the Avalanche are uh, very often injured. So it's going to get to the point where you either have Jason Megna on your second line or you're going to give a young Alex Newhook an opportunity. And at that point, you you know, coming out of college, it's going to be reasonable for him to get some games this year. I'm really curious to see how good he is right off the bat and how slow or fast his development is in the NHL. Because it is, it is different for every player. It's hard to gauge it. You know, we can look at Tyson Jost and say it's going to be that. But we can also look at other players and say he's going to excel quickly. But I'm just really curious to see where it goes because he is one of the best prospects in the NHL right now. Right. Last thing I wanted to get into on the last two Vegas games before we start looking forward is that last goal by Nazem Kadri, right? I mean, especially <laughs> me personally, I've been waiting for a few games to see Nazem Kadri really make an impact, and he did it in the most Nazem Kadri way possible. Late game heroics. He's done it before, he'll do it again, and he's probably going to do it again after that. This is a guy that. Uh, you know, loves to score those clutch goals. And even though he doesn't have a lot of goals, he usually does score game-winning goals in the playoffs. He had five of them, and he's already got two this season. Uh, shout out to him. But that entire play, not to take the conversation away from Kadri, was made because Bowen Byram held the puck in at the blue line, put the puck on the net. That's what they say to do. They say put the pucks on net, Donskoy got a stick on it, and then Kadri buried it. So the confidence from Byram to do that, the nice play from Donskoy, and the IQ from Kadri to say, let's shoot the damn puck, is what led to that game-winning goal. And it was a team effort, and it was a great, great goal, uh, and it was awesome to see. He's only got four goals this season, and two of them are now game winners. It's just crazy to me because with Kadri, you know, I think every shift he plays at level 10, right? He plays with fire, he plays yeah. with intensity, but for some odd reason, in the last couple minutes of game, he has a level... 11 that he that he yeah. can somehow tap into and he goes extra hard there and he's just the the ultimate fighter just exactly who you think he is is who he is when it comes to the end of the game right he's gonna scratch and claw all the way to the final buzzer I mean that picture from last year right with the the Arizona Coyotes goal that he scored with the blues oh, it, was a, it was the blues oh it was still regular season yeah, right, right right that right. first game yeah right um yeah, just it, with the, a fraction of a second left. I mean, that's just so him, right? I mean, that's just yeah. I'm not going down until that buzzer rings and I'm going to fight and fight and fight harder than you're going to fight, and he makes things happen. I mean, I, I wish he could reach that 11 all game long, but obviously that'd be exhausting and, and probably impossible. Especially in a season where you're playing every other day and a half, not even every other two days at this point. But, I mean, I completely agree to have the – 
to have that internal clock going to know what the clock says up there is actually one of the one of the best attributes that a hockey player can have. And I know that they've been talking about this for a few years now, but the NHL has been talking about putting a digital clock on the boards behind the goalie so that you have something to look at to know how much time is left. I don't know why they haven't done it yet. It seems like it's a very, very easy and smart thing to do. But you have to look up at the Jumbotron every time you want to know how much time's left on the clock. And for him to know, you know, in that game last season that there was still time and enough time to put the puck on net. And, you know, yesterday, or I should say on on Tuesday, even though it was a little over 30 seconds left or whatever it was it's still nice to see a player that's able to sort of realize there's not a lot of time left but there's enough time for me to make a play it's like uh you know in the nba there's always a designated guy on every team who takes the last shot right well yeah Nas is that Kadri's our guy yeah Yeah, Kadri it's not McKinnon it's Kadri I agree with you 100% on that one yeah I mean chances are McKinnon misses the net if the puck's on his stick uh McKinnon either scores or shoots high (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Those are the two things he's yeah. got. Um, all right, well, let's move along. Avalanche are starting to get healthy a little bit. We see Landis Gog, Joe, Shearwood, Calvert, and McCarr all return to practice. What's the latest? When can we expect to see these guys in-game action? Landis Gog, Joe, Sherwood, and Calvert are all available. Uh, sure, uh, Landis Gog was skating with Comfort and O'Connor on the third line uh, at practice on Thursday. And we'll see what he does today, Friday, because we're recording this Friday morning. The avalanche are set to practice around noon media availability at around one o'clock mountain time. But it makes sense because if you're the avalanche, you're bringing Landis Cog back after two weeks of being locked in an apartment or home or whatever. Uh, you don't want to stick him on the top line right away. Uh, and I, and I assume he's going to start that game on Tahoe, which is in a little bit more than 24 hours. I assume he's going to start on that third line, but could work his way up depending on how he plays. Joe Sherwood and Calvert are all available. Calvert being the one that was the injury. Sherwood and Joseph Landeskog were COVID related. Kel McCarr practiced again, just like he took the, you know, the pregame skate on Tuesday. Um, he practiced with Ryan Graves, so I don't know what that means, but Bednar still said we'll see on McCarr playing Saturday. I assume he will play, um, but that's literally just a prediction at this point. We'll try to find out more today. Sam Gerard obviously, just passed his cardiac test, is not going to begin skating until the weekend, so he will not play on Tahoe. He's likely to return Monday. And Eric Johnson and Pavel Francouz is is more of the same. They're both still long-term, no updates, no nothing. Uh, it's a bit concerning, but that's where they are and that's where they've been. Let's get into uh, the Landeskog thing you mentioned and him being back on the first line. I wanted to dive into that a little bit because, in my personal opinion, I like the way the top six is set right now without him in it. Um, now, what we saw from him on the top line early on in the season was he was kind of the the pivotal piece on that line right I mean without him I don't think that line really produced nearly what they did in the first few games but I just I've I've talked about how much I love Burakovsky with McKinnon ranting on that other side and then I like the Donskoy Kadri Saad combination Donskoy's been playing so well this season and we're not talking enough about the fact that Giannis Donskoy has five goals and five assists in 13 games with a plus five rating so, he looks great out there, and I agree with that 100%. Yeah, and so I, I have a hard time throwing Landy right back into that swing because I'd like I'd like these lines to work. If In a perfect world, this is my top six. And uh, I agree with you on that, but the good thing is when you have this much depth, it sets you up for success because when another injury strikes in the top six, you still have Landis Goggle left over. 
And when Landeskog was uh, taken out from COVID and when McKinnon was dirt, was hurt, you still had a Donskoy sitting on the third line. So this is why you have that depth. It's for this very reason. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you 100%. We'll see what happens. I need to stop saying 100%. Jeez. We'll, we'll see what happens with, uh, with the Tahoe game. I know Landeskog will likely start on that third line. But it gives you options. You're playing a Vegas team that's really, really good. If you need a spark, you bring Landeskog up to the second line, to the top line. You switch him with maybe Burakovsky or maybe Rantanen. Who knows? But you have options, and that's the best thing that a coach can have is those options. I need to stop saying things that you agree with 100%. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> uh, but with Landeskog, you know, and I heard Patrick Sharp say this on NBC recently, that there were times where Quinville made Patrick Sharp ju- drop down to the third line. And in all honesty, he I mean, he knew he had to because he had Taves and Kane in front of him. But when he dropped down to that third line, everything became easier for him because you're playing against other third lines. Yeah. You're playing against third pairings. So for Landeskog, not saying that he needs it, but I think it would be a nice little boost in his production if he's, he's so used to and so accustomed to playing against the top lines that now he drops into the third line he might get an extra millisecond of time to think uh, you know I think it could be really good for just creating more production throughout the lineup rather than keeping it up on those top two yeah it's it's Phil Kessel on the third line with Hagelin and Benino it's it's Phil Kessel leading the playoffs and scoring in 2016 for a Stanley Cup winning team because he was on the third line. He's one of the best scorers in, in, in modern-day NHL. Uh, he's got a great shot, and he was playing against other third lines and third line pairings. So it's that same idea. It's when you're this deep, someone's going to have it easy. And right now it seems to be that Landeskog is going to get that opportunity. Before that, it was Donskoy, and Donskoy was out there you know, succeeding at every chance he had. He was scoring, he was making plays, and then he was joining power plays and making even better plays. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so let's see how Landy responds to being back on the ice. Of, of course, that's the best spot for him, too. After missing so many games, you want to ease him back into the lineup. But I think he could really make some noise down on that third line. So fingers crossed for that. Um, yeah. Secondly, Matt Calvert. As you said, he's returning. We should see him back in the lineup very soon. But my question is, should we? Should he be coming back? Because we know he's been dealing with concussions. He even had the... The idea of coming to training camp with his pink visor to help minimize the after effects of concussions. I mean, if I'm a doctor or if I'm just a a non-hockey fan, I'm looking at this situation and I'm saying, this is a bad idea, Matt Calvert. Yeah, so what I like about Calvert is he's been saying all the right things on what to do to mitigate long-term effects. And it seems like he's been making the smart decisions. So I'm hoping this isn't a decision where he's rushing back into it. I'm hoping this is a decision where he's gotten a first, a second, a third, and a fourth opinion telling him you should be playing hockey. And this quickly. I did not think he would be back this fast, just like Belmar. I didn't think he would be back this quickly. Belmar's injury, if it was a serious injury, would have been bone-related. You know, It would have been a knee issue. Calvert's is a head issue. It's not something you want to mess around with. So we'll see. I'm really intrigued and curious to see how it goes. I just hope he, you know, doesn't end up having any long-term effects or hurts himself. But we've seen players come back from this. Sidney Crosby's one of them, where it got to a point where we're like, should this guy be playing? And he did, and he did it well. I just think there's a big difference between Calvert's situation and any other concussion situation we've ever seen. And that's going back to last year in Vancouver when he took that puck to the head. I hope that none of these yeah. after effects are lingering from that. And they are more so just the regular concussions because that's a, a lot different than a concussion, right? I mean, a hard puck 
to the dome with no protection i mean i think that'll mess you up so yeah and the season before we saw him and obviously this is you know something that could lead to concussions as well when he made a play on that empty net goal against the san jose sharks and got run over by a giant behemoth named brent burns so i don't know where it started i don't know what you know what the deal is but that thing he took in vancouver last year was a massive massive injury um and we'll we'll see where it goes i just this is where, as a player, you need to learn to play smart. This is where you need to learn to change your game a little bit. For Calvert, that's a little bit harder to say because he is such a grinding type of player. But you need to find a way to avoid those hits. This is where Sidney Crosby was able to use his hockey IQ to make sure he doesn't have those you know, effects later on in his career. And it's been five, six, seven years, and we haven't heard about Crosby getting concussions anymore. So he did the right things. It's just a matter of hoping Calvert can and kind of getting lucky because this is something that is ultimately uncontrollable at this point. And that's exactly where I was going to go next is Calvert changing his game. I just don't see it happening because that's his style, right? I mean, it's always been his style. He has to play that physical 100% bodies getting tossed around, whether it's your own or the opponent's. That's just who he is. And I don't see him, if he does change his game, I don't see him It'll be very being slightly. successful. It'll yeah. be, it, and it, I don't think he can adapt. I mean, Crosby's a goal scorer. Crosby's, Crosby's yeah. a playmaker. He can easily take the physical side of the game out for him. I don't know if Calvert can do that. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Crosby, everybody's favorite thing to say about Sidney Crosby is he's the world's greatest, most talented third-line grinder because he plays that type of a game. But I would compare Calvert more towards someone like Gabe Landeskog. With Landeskog, you know, he played a 120% type of game all the time early on in his career and now Landis Scott kind of has taken a step back he doesn't have as many hits but he still provides that same type of spark granted the difference between Landis Gog and Calvert is Landis Gog is more skilled so when you take that part away from Calvert's game is it going to be effective I guess we're just going to have to wait and see sticking with after effects too um, as we know we got a lot of guys coming back from COVID um, I'm looking over across at Rasmus Ristolainen and not sure if you got to see his quotes and we've talked about Marco Rossi. I'm just, I'm just terrified, and I hope that this isn't the case. But it sounds like there are just after effects of having COVID that the players are starting to struggle with. And uh, all the more yeah. reason why I called this season so stupid. It just seems not worth putting these players' r- lives at risk. I mean, I know saying that their lives are at risk is a little bit overboard because of the percentage of survival right but it seems to really be messing with these guys body and they don't have an option they're forced to go out there and play they're forced to go um you know be in the atmosphere that has covid lingering around and and now his lungs might be damaged for the rest of his of his life i mean he was saying that there were nights he was going to bed he didn't know if he was going to wake up yeah and there's just like normal people like you and me if you know if we were to get covid it's the same thing as as these nhl players as it's Everybody reacts to it differently. Everybody comes back from it differently. And it's just a matter of hoping, you know, not that our team is comes back better and the other team doesn't. No, I'm not going to wish COVID long-term effects on any player, no matter who you are. Um, it's just a matter of hoping that not many NHLers face that. And if they do, like Marco Rossi, like Rasmus Ristolainen, they heal from it and they get better from it, you know, further down the line. It might just take them a little bit longer. Um but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm a doctor and I know what I'm talking about. I'm literally just spewing things that I read and have heard on the news and on social media, which is the worst way to get your opinions and facts. But it's, it's, it is what it is, and, and this is the world we're living in right now. Well, how about this? And I wonder if the NHL's thought of this. We see in the, NA, in the NFL 
how players who have been retired for 20, 30 years are coming back and starting lawsuits against the NFL because of the CTE that they, um, you know, acquired during their time of play. Could it be that 10, 15, 20 years down the road, some of these guys that uh, got COVID in the mm, NHL games come back and uh, come after the NHL a little bit. I wonder if that's something they thought about in making these players play because we're treating them like commodities. Let's call it. I mean, probably, state. probably they will come back, but I think the lawsuits will go the same way these lawsuits usually go as it's going to end up with, you knew the risks you, you played through it kind of thing. I mean, players had an opportunity to opt out. And if you're the NHL and you're Gary Bettman, which you guys are probably smart with this stuff because you're lawyers, you have the writing in there that says that if you choose to play and something happens, it's on you. You've signed your liability forms. You've you've signed basically your liability and your life away. And that's why they offered, and I'm pretty sure the biggest reason why the NHL offered the opportunity for players to opt out is for two reasons. Number one, we really can't force you to do this. But number two, because lawfully, we need to have that in the writing for further down the line. But did they allow the players to opt out for this season or is that just yeah. for the bubble no they allowed him to opt out this season and there was casey nelson of the buffalo sabers who opted out and then a month later he announced his retirement he was only 28 years old i think or 27 when he did that well and but that's yes the thing. they had like, the opportunity to opt out this year a guy like that he probably saw all right I, now i have a stigma attached to me around the nhl as that guy who opted out i don't think you know from a player's standpoint you feel forced. You feel cornered. You you either, all right, I can make the multi-million dollar paycheck that I'm supposed to do this year and go put myself at risk and who knows what the future holds, or I opt out and there's a chance that I never get another NHL job again. Well, I would have agreed with that before the bubble experience because in the bubble experience, we saw a lot of players opt out. We saw Tukarask pack his shit and leave halfway through. But that's um, Tukarask. Yeah, that's true. It's it's hard to say. I mean, I, I agree with you on some ends because I see I look at players like Matt Niskanen who retired um, and I see somebody who said, I'm not going to deal with this, but he retired. It's not something where he said, I'm not going to deal with it for a year. He said, I'm not going to deal with this and I'm done. I see someone like Jimmy Howard, who when he did have an opportunity to join the Oilers said, no, I'm happy with my family at home and retired. So I see somebody who likely his career was cut short, you know, for starters because he had terrible numbers last year and he's getting old but you know also because he said i'm not going to deal with it this year but he's doing it for good it's not just for one season so I, I i do see that point but it is there it's in the writing the opportunity was there so i think if players try to come back and you know file a lawsuit further down the line it's that's going to be the first of course, point of yeah. defense it's the it's, nhl is protected you're right they're, they're yeah. going to protect themselves because you know, I mean, it's, it's just that, is, that's the problem. Is is. It feels like the players are being treated like commodities here because even if they do have issues down the line and do want some compensation for being forced to play, they're not going to get anything. I mean, they're let's face it, directed towards the contract you signed. Let's face it, COVID or not, players have always been treated like commodities and 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 like cattle and like a you know a piece of meat, and that's what they always will be. They're an asset and nothing more. It's just the way the sporting world works. Yeah, it's just tough and stupid to, to see, you know. Like, again, I just think this season is so dumb. Now we're seeing teams at half-staffed, you know. I mean, you look across at the Philadelphia Flyers, no Giroux, no Voracek, no Konechny. They're missing half their They're team. They're all going to miss the Lake Tahoe game. Right, now. I mean, and th this just isn't the product that it's supposed to be, right? This isn't the standard NHL product, and it's just so stupid, in my opinion, that we're forcing this just to force it, just to get a season in. Let's just... Speaking of forcing things and dumb things, what's your opinion on Lake Tahoe? Here we go. Let's get into this. I think this game is super lame. Um, why? 
I mean, I get it. You want to do something different. You want to get more eyes. But again, this isn't a standard season. These outdoor games aren't standard hockey games. Now you're suddenly creating a gimmick into what's supposed to be taken seriously. And it, I don't, in my opinion, this isn't a serious hockey game at all. Also, the outdoor games are, are a fan experience. The best part about those outdoor games that were here in Colorado was going, was being there, was being part of the festivities, was seeing the alumni game. Just simply watching it on TV doesn't quite do it for me just to see some cool mountains and a lake in the background. So I'm not sure I'm all on board for this Lake Tahoe thing. I think it's dumb. I get it. But I, I, I think it's just such a gimmick that why, why create so much more difference in an already different season just to, you know, have people like me a year or two years from now look back and realize how dumb it actually is. There's a lot to unfold there, and this is going to be fun. So I'm going to start with the gimmick aspect. Outdoor games, yes, it is a little bit of a different hockey because it is, you know, the weather kind of dictates how the game is going to be played. But I'm going to give two reasons why that doesn't matter. The first reason is let's not pretend the ice quality in every arena is the same. Let's not pretend that this is an indoor soccer game where anywhere you play indoor soccer on the same turf in the same conditions is the same because it's not. The second thing is the weather effect. Let's look at other sports. And I know the NHL is not other sports, but if you're in the NFL and you're playing in Green Bay at Lambeau Field and it starts to snow, the game is suddenly different. You're running the ball more. You have to adjust. But when people win those games, we don't look back and say, hey, remember that time the Packers beat, let's say, you know, the Bears and uh, there was a crazy snowstorm? Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to consider that a normal win for Aaron Rodgers. That was a gimmick. That was not it's nobody ever thinks back to that. So in that sense, I understand that, you know, you know, the outdoor game thing in general is different hockey. Um, and I get that. But I, I don't think it matters as much because the ice quality all around the ranks, all around the league is never the same. And you have to adjust to it. I mean, the boards are never the same either. At the Joe Louis Arena, they used to have the bumpers at the bottom that were wildly active. And Nick Littstrom used to purposely shoot pucks off of the bumpers and they would hit behind and come right in front of the goalie in the slot for someone to score on the rebound. And the goalie had no idea what the hell happened. It was a planned play by a player playing at his home rink at the Joe Louis Arena. The fan experience thing, I do understand what you're saying, but the way that I'm going to combat that is to say it's getting to the point where these outdoor games just aren't fun in person. It's getting to that point where the experience isn't a big deal. Yeah, you come in and you have this big tailgate and you shoot the thing into the thing and then you go take a hockey puck and you shoot it and you can wear the all the things and line up to take a picture of with a poster of McKinnon and you know, all that crazy stuff you do and all that fun festivities and there's music and you can probably meet the spit and chicklets people and you know Don Cherry is that was at the big house, you know, meeting people and it's cool, it's fun. And then you get to your seats and you sit down and you're like, Okay, so I'm freezing. Can't I can't see anything, especially if it's a baseball diamond. And you're like, yeah, this was cool. The experience was fun. Look, there's 40,000 people around me, not just 20. That's fun. Uh, the big house was 100,000. That was crazy. And it was a snow globe and we froze our asses off. And then you sit back and go, yeah, maybe that wasn't as fun as I thought it was. What's starting to make these NHL games, these outdoor games fun is the TV experience, and you need to enhance that TV experience, especially at a time where 
you can't have fans in the crowd. So if you're looking at the NHL and you look at, you know, what they've done with outdoor games lately, I mean, the outdoor games have kind of been the same thing over and over again. It's the same arenas. It's the same, oh, different football stadium, different this, different that. It's the same experience, but they're able to do things like have drone footage. They're able to do things like have different kinds of camera angles. They're trying to find a way to enhance the experience. So what they're doing with Lake Tahoe is exactly that. There's water and waves in the background. There's trees, mountains. I know it looks stupid. We're just like, oh, cool, mountain views. But I think the TV experience is going to look really cool, especially when you combine the fact that cameras are now in that 8K high definition that we saw with Tom Brady and how cool that looks. I think the TV experience is going to be enhanced. And because there's no fans there, because we're living in a COVID world, they're going to, just like the weekend and his concert at the Super Bowl, they're going to find a way to enhance the TV experience so that when life returns to normal, now you have two things. You have this awesome in-person experience and you have this awesome TV product. And this is the best opportunity for the NHL to enhance that TV product. I'm curious how they plan on doing something like that because we've seen it before. You have the, the floating camera, you know, looking at center, down center ice at the offensive zone while a team's on the power play, right? Other than that, I don't know what else they can really do differently than that. I don't know either. I don't know either, but I guess we're going to find out. Maybe there's going to be a guy with a camera standing up in that mountain. Who the hell knows? Like, it's just, I'm really, really intrigued. Yeah, like like a view from the top of a mountain. Yeah, right. It's just Um, a great camera I just don't get it. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm not excited for it. I don't understand why anybody would be excited for it. Um, And, you know, I just don't get why people think that just simply having a different backdrop on an ice rink is going to create such an amazing television product i don't get it the thing is we we don't know so we're gonna find out i mean as much as i want to be at this lake tahoe game and i wish i was i'm intrigued to see what the tv product looks like i'm just intrigued by it i might come back next episode and be like yeah that was stupid it just looked like there was a backdrop you know kind of added into ball arena that's what makes that's that's what it makes me think of those zoom back screens right that people are suddenly in hawaii yeah i mean you can take you know how the avalanche have those seat covers for the turn lower into section. A green screen. Yeah, turn it to turn those seat covers into mountains and it'll probably look the same. I don't know. I guess we'll find out, but I'm I'm really intrigued by this because it's so different and this stupid league never does any stupid thing differently than what they've always done. So the fact that they're doing something different or not stupid, but different is uh is intriguing to me and I'm really curious to see where it goes. Uh the other reason why I'm excited, it's a stupid little thing. But it's the reverse retro jerseys. I'm excited for their debut. I'm excited to see them. Uh, We will have them on Monday at Ball Arena too. And I'm super pumped for that. I'm going to take a ton of pictures of them. But I'm just, I'm intrigued by this entire experience. And you know what? The season, like you said, it's already a gimmick and all messed up anyway. So why not add a mountain and a, you know, skating on a pond and whatever the hell this experience is going to be. I just, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm fine with that as long as we can all admit the fact that, yeah, this is dumb. This is not a real season. So, yeah, let's just do whatever. And I mean, the reality is every everybody is always going to talk about how this season is different. You're playing the same seven teams over and over again. Games are being rescheduled, moved around. I mean, today, so the Dallas Stars and Tampa Bay Lightning game was canceled. So the NHL took the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, I believe, and paired them up with the Tampa Bay Lightning and said, you're playing, oh, sorry, the Carolina Hurricanes and paired them up with the Lightning and said, you're playing tomorrow. And the funny thing is there was a Hurricanes-Blackhawks game scheduled tomorrow. They said, we'll push that down later. So the NHL basically just called Tampa Bay and said, uh, or just called Carolina and said, hey, instead of playing Chicago tomorrow, you're playing Tampa Bay. Enjoy. 
Like it's a very different, like it's, it's weird. The avalanche was supposed to have a couple days off next week. No, now they don't Wednesday. They're facing Minnesota at ball arena, the game that was rescheduled. So there's a lot of different things about this season. If people want to call it a gimmick is up to them. If people want to put an asterisk by it, it's up to them. But nobody is going to argue that this season is different. It just is just like the bubble, just like what we saw last year. This season is different. So this is just going to be another added piece to that. Yeah, just funny that, you know, they get the same reward at the end, despite it being different. And I, I, I hear all the people saying, oh, well, I think there should be an asterisk by the Stanley Cup because it's harder to win. And yeah, sure, it is harder to win. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, if you started playing basketball on grass, it would be harder there, too. Are, are you still going to say that's still basketball? No. I wonder if that's the argument that started grass courts for tennis. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I get what you mean. And I, and I totally understand that. And that's just, I mean, the debate of if, is this season, a, uh, is this a normal cup win or not? Is a debate that nobody's ever going to win. Cause everybody has their opinions on that. This was harder to win. So the asterisk should be the other way, or this was a fluke or whatever, who cares, but nobody can argue that the season isn't different, that you're playing the same seven teams that in the North division, you have, you know, like 25 players that already have 50 points because nobody plays defense in the North division and no goalie has an 890 save percentage in the North division. And I understand that it is a different year. Things are different. I'm just glad the NHL is finding a way obviously to make more money, but also to do things way more differently and actually host a game with a backdrop like mountains and I just like I'm the curious how, cool. how this game is going to make more money, just by more viewers? Yeah, it's more viewers, it's more sponsorships, it's kind of like that Super Bowl effect. It's, hey, we're going to take a game to Lake Tahoe, more people are going to watch it, so now the advertisements cost more. Hey, would you okay, like well, would you like to advertise the the boards? Would you like to advertise the ice for this ice rink that's only going to be used for two games? It's a it's a pretty penny. Next week for our pod for our next podcast, let's try to see if we can find those rating numbers and how they compare to a typical Saturday matinee game on NBC. Okay, that's a good idea. I'm, I'm really curious how that looks. And Greg Wyshynski is always a good source for things like that, so I will keep an eye on his Twitter. And then with the reverse retro jersey that you mentioned, I just want to know what took so long. I mean, I get that they wanted to wait for the Lake Tahoe game, but we've seen that's, every reverse retro jersey in the NHL except that. for the one we've been waiting for the most. Yeah, it's literally that. It's once the Avalanche were given the Lake Tahoe game. I mean, the Vegas Golden Knights already used theirs, but the Avalanche said, we're going to debut it here. So the Avs have played, uh, I believe they have 20 more games at Ball Arena, and they're going to wear it five times. That's not enough, on, right? I think that On top of this, so it's going to be six times. That's, that's just too bad, you know, and that's my complaint yeah. every year with the outdoor games. You use a really cool jersey once, and then you never see it again. Yeah. Well, we're going to see it only six times. This is the jersey everybody's been talking about for decades. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really curious to see what the NHL does with reverse retros because I haven't really gotten a, you know, a clear understanding of this, of the fact that is this something that we're going to see down the line or is this something that we're only going to see this year? I'm really curious about that. Hopefully it is something we see more of because it's just, it's such a beautiful jersey and I'm so excited to see it. Right. And the Avalanche just wanted to make us get used to those blue greasers and buckets. I love the blue. You do? <laughs> oh, I do. Uh, let's not get into that one. Yeah. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. <laughs> um, let's see. Last stupid thing to come out of Lake Tahoe is the Nathan McKinnon hole-in-one intermission <laughs> thing. I mean, again, how dumb is this? Oh, well, Joe Sackett hit a hole-in-one once while he was golfing. So we're going to come bring you out and expect you to hit a hole-in-one just on one shot, one take. Let's see if there, you can do it. There's one reason why I have an ugly smile on my face right now. I'm excited to see this. You want to know why that is? Why? Because it's Nathan McKinnon. 
And McKinnon doesn't humor people. When he's in hockey mode, he's in hockey mode. People trying to talk to him pisses us off, pisses him off. Media trying to bother him pisses him off. What if the Avalanche are losing three to nothing at the intermission? And they're like, hey, Nate, come take a shot. He's going to be so mad and it's going to be hard for him to hide it because of his personality and his demeanor. And I'm so excited to see that. Aren't they just pre-recording for that. it? I thought they were going to pre-record it just for that reason. They don't want to pull him out in the middle of intermission okay, have him then, in, in his bottoms on, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Then maybe I'm wrong. I hope but that's still, what it is. Because I, I was going to say, I'm like, what are they going to do? Put him. I mean, I should have read up on it before making that statement. But what I was going to think, like, what are they going to do? Put him on a golf cart and be like, all right, let's go this way. And they're going to drive him through. And he's like, I should be in the locker room getting ice. My elbow hurts. I just got run over by Ryan Reeves. A hundred percent. That's why so, I think he's going to step up, just take a half-hearted swing, miss the green and be like, oh, no hole in one. Let's get, let, let me go get dressed and play yep, hockey. Let's get back to hockey. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably what's going to happen, but it's just, they, they couldn't pick Landeskog. Landeskog's got a personality. Landeskog's a fun guy. He likes to, he likes to do these things. He knows it's for the fans and it's for the experience. McKinnon's just not going to care. It's hilarious. Yeah. And why not let everybody do it? I mean, the odds of one shot being a hole in one are so low. Why not let everybody take a shot? And chances are you won't get a hole in one with 40. But the thing is with McKinnon is it's not that he's not going to try because he's a competitive person. It's just that there's going to be no entertainment factor to it. I mean, we saw him on spit and chicklets when they did that golf thing against Whitney and biz with him and Sydney. He was so mad. He was screaming and cussing at biz. He wasn't out there having fun. He was out there being competitive, and that's what he's going to do with this hole-in-one. It's not going to be fun. It's just going to be a competition for him against literally nobody. Yeah, but a hole-in-one <laughs> is so like impossible Yeah, that I think I know. he's just going to step up and be like, this is this is ridiculous. All right, hack. Okay, bye. You know, yeah. like, I don't care about being competitive here. This is dumb. <laughs> How am I supposed to shoot a hole-in-one in one shot? You're ridiculous. Yeah. But, Anyway, this, this is the NHL. This is what they do. They always have to find something that's laughable. This is the one for me. I will agree with you on that. 100%, right? Yeah. Um, last thing, <laughs> rescheduled games. We got note and, you know, I'm sure this isn't the last time it's going to happen, but we've got some new games on a schedule and an altered calendar up ahead. What does that mean for the Avalanche? That means that next Wednesday, so following the Monday game at Ball Arena against Vegas, where they will be wearing that outdoor jersey, that means the following Wednesday, two days later, they will host the Minnesota Wild. That's that fourth game of the fourth game of the four game series that was uh, rescheduled against Minnesota. So suddenly, at a time where the Avalanche were supposed to have a couple days off, they no longer have that. So they're going to add that game in. And then there was three of the other four games were rescheduled. The two against Arizona were thrown into March 31st and April 12th. And one of the one of the two Blues games on the road were changed to April 14th. The second Blues road game hasn't been rescheduled yet. Now, the biggest thing for me here is on top of the fact that they added that February 24th game in five days, which is going to eliminate the last three-day break the Avalanche will have until April or two-day break the Avalanche are going to have until April. They also added a game on to March 31st. So it was supposed to be the 31st, April 1, and April 2 were supposed to be days off. Well, now they've added a game to March 31st. And the reason why that's a big deal is because now the Avalanche in March are playing 17 games over 31 days. They're playing 13 of them at Ball Arena. They have one day off, obviously, 13, 14 times. They never have two days off. They're playing one surprisingly only two back-to-backs and it's just going to be a lot of hockey so my question to you is coming out of march how many players are going to be healthy 
And what are your chances of playing in, of stepping in and playing goalie for the Avs? Hey, I'm here. I'm here and ready when they need me. But yeah, that's what I was going to say is there's, I think there's a that's good a and a bad. Games, man. There's a good and bad that comes out of it, though. I think there's nothing better as a hockey player than simply being in rhythm, right? And having I and that's why I think, and I look back to that first Vegas game. I think having a back to back gives you a little bit of an advantage because you were you're still feeling it. Like you you could still feel that puck on your stick from last night, and you're getting right back into it, right into the swing of things at a hundred percent. Not having a practice where you maybe slow down a little bit, you know, take a little mental break. You're getting right back into it. So I think having that every other day and having that momentum and yeah, I, no, it's I, it one hundred percent matters. I think it could keep you rolling. It could keep yeah, them hot. It does as long as it they does. don't go through a just, tough stretch there. Yeah, just don't and just don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know how else to say that to this team because it's what they do. And we're looking at you, Philip Grubauer. We're looking at you. Especially Grubauer. I mean, right now with this yeah. team, you can lose McKinnon, you can lose Makar, you can lose them both at the same time, and you'll be okay. You cannot lose Grubauer. Everything Not this year. is on his shoulders right now. And Literally. That's all the more reason to be impressed with the way he's handling it and it's, coming it's out. It's a lot top. of pressure. It's a lot of pressure, but he's business as usual. He's doing his thing, he's winning games, and he's, he's, he's making it happen. Yep. Love it, love it. Well, that brings us to the hour mark. Should we wrap up here and get to our Mile High Sports three stars of the week? Let's do it. All right. That brings us to star number three, and we're giving that to Bowen Byram because we pumped his tires so much early in this podcast, but he deserves a star as well just because nobody saw this coming. We knew he was going to be good. We didn't know he was going to be this good, this fast. Love to see it. From a 19-year-old, amazing stuff. I mean, five years ago, he was sitting on a couch, not even able to drive, watching all these guys, and now he's out there embarrassing them. Yeah, and uh, he just looks awesome. I'm really excited to see where his game goes the rest of the season because he's seemingly getting better every game. And he's at that age where he's so young and he's such a raw talent that he literally, you know, he's nowhere close to his peak. Every day is something better. Every day is more improvements, at least for his first year, maybe two or three. And, you know, we're watching it before our very eyes. He's better at 19, in my opinion, than Gerard was and probably better than Makar was playing in college. You know, I don't think his ceiling could be as high as one or two of those guys. But right now, he looks pretty damn good. Here's the one thing I want him to be careful of. And I think we've seen this throughout the years with a lot of the young guys on the avalanche. I can think of Nathan McKinnon, Sam Gerard, Tyson Jost. They're smaller guys, so you know after a year or two in the NHL, f- for some reason, some off season, they decide that they need to bulk up and yeah, get big. Yeah, right? I don't understand that. I hope I he doesn't I... do that too extremely because he needs. I love the way he plays. I love his speed. I love his you know the his yeah. slender body. I think it's perfect for what he's doing. Yeah. If he bulks up, it's going to jeopardize his game a little bit. He's going to physically develop with age because he's 19 years old, but he doesn't need to go overboard. Mm-hmm. And and I agree with that. That brings us to star number two. We're going to Katie Strang for the article and the investigation she basically ran on the Arizona Coyotes and called them out for just being a garbage franchise. Yeah, so I love I love this story for many reasons. Uh, for starters, it's because Katie Strang is probably the best investigative journalist we have in this sport uh, and, and maybe in the sports world in general. She's the one that broke and ran with the Larry Nasser case at Michigan State University, which was you know, really hard and really let's face it, depressing, but it's something that needed to be done and she was able to do it. She had the thick skin and the ability to write that story. The Coyote story, she's basically spoken to over 50 current and former employees, but the keyword is current as well, within the organization that are just unhappy with a lot of things. Players were not paid their bonuses on time, not on July 1st or or in September. 
Uh, there's, you know, there's cases of sexual misconduct, you know, without going into much detail about how serious that could be. Uh, there's cases of bullying, cases of just all these, all sorts of things going on in that organization that is just discombobulated under the new owner, Alex Mariuello. Um And after the story came out and it did go viral, the Arizona Coyotes decided to release a statement saying that we are very disappointed that The Athletic for several months has condoned a harassment campaign against Mr. Alex Mariuello, the Coyotes, the Mariuello Group, and a dozen of current and former employees. We question the potential reliance by The Athletic on disgruntled ex-employees who have proven to be untrustworthy and lacking in candor or confidential non-public information. And that is a little bit worrying because they 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 basically acknowledge that current employees were were part of this. And then they go on to only attack the ex-employees. They go on after that, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. They go on to have paragraph upon paragraph talking about how Mr. Mariuello has a 40-year track record of success in multiple industries. Anybody who's a billionaire has done something wrong, you know, somewhere along the line. So they avoid and they don't even acknowledge what the allegations were. They don't even deny them. Which, you know, even if you were lying by denying them, at least acknowledge what the story was about rather than coming in here talking about your owner and how awesome he is. It's a, it's just a terrible run franchise right now. It makes me wonder why people keep buying this team. And I think I'm starting to realize that they've never had a good owner because it's just not a good investment and no good owner is going to want to buy it. You keep getting guys like Mariuello who are buying it. You know, I don't want to go into much more detail and bash the actual owner himself until we find out where this story goes with Katie Strang and the athletic, because this is going to have a follow-up. It's going to have a lot of follow-up and I'm really curious to see how it unfolds. But for me, the biggest thing is to come out and release that statement is a little bit spineless. It's gutless. And I just, I, I don't understand why the coyotes are still a team. You can send them to Houston, have a great owner, um, and, and, and a better fan base, you know, a stronger fan base, I should say, because Arizona coyotes fans are strong fans. And just make more money for the league. I just, I don't get it. I don't understand why this team still exists. Yeah, I mean, with all that going on, you add on the fact that they've just always been terrible. Then they have yeah. probably the worst attendance, if not one of the worst attendance in the NHL. It just doesn't make sense why that team's still there. Um, but, you know, the angle I wanted to take on it is just more from the NHL of, you know, ownership and management being untouchable, right? You're not allowed to criticize them no matter what. We're going to have yeah. their back. And then, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to hear from Arizona that suddenly the athletics not allowed in the press box anymore, right? Just for simply trying to do their job, do some journalism. The second you throw stones at the ownership and management, though, that's when you get shunned and blacklisted. Management is fine. Ownership, it seems like that's when you get shunned. Like, it, it concerns me that you know, all the things that have been happening with Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa Senators and the NHL's response to that every single time is nothing, literally nothing, just just a silence, blank silence. It's not, we'll look into this, we'll see what's going on, we'll investigate the matter further. It's nothing. That's the biggest concern when you have an owner like Melnick. That's the biggest concern when you have an owner like what's happening in Arizona, which seems to be a very toxic situation is that. And, you know, and another part of the story that, that String talked about was the Mitchell Miller thing, the fourth route the fourth round draft pick that they took the kid that bullied a, a person of color and, and didn't seem to show any remorse for it. And then they had to go and cut that draft pick to, you know, a couple weeks later, or two days later, or whatever it was after that story came out. And, uh, you know, John Chaka had his whole issue where he was trying to leave the organization and was suspended for it. And he was unlock you know, uh, breaking the rules and, and, uh, 
testing players before the draft, even though there was no draft combine and they had to surrender a first and a second round draft. It's just, it's a shit show after a shit show. And the last thing I'll mention on this is their current GM, Bill Armstrong, called up Katie Strang and ultimately bullied her into saying, don't run this story. And that's all you need to know. Like it's it's just a toxic situation. I'm really curious to see where it goes. I'm going to be following it closely. But they need to move that team. They need to move them quick because you're not going to get a proper owner until they're out of that market. And then on the coattails of the stupidity of the Lake Tahoe game, Arizona announces that they're looking at having a game in Mexico City at some point in the near future. Oh, good. Which I think is just, uh, again, just blind by the NHL because – you're not. You're gonna have to give tickets away in Mexico City to have yeah. people watching it. This is the Coyotes saying nobody in Arizona wants to watch us. Let's go try to see if somebody in Mexico. Like I don't understand it. It makes no sense. But you know what? We're an Avalanche podcast. The Coyotes are just a terrible franchise right now. At least it's not our franchise and the one that we cover. Um, so that's all I have to say on that. Yeah, screw them, especially for losing me money by beating the Blues. How did they do that so many times? <laughs> Brings us to star number one, and we've pumped his tires. I'm sure you can Phillip guess who Bruce this is going to be. Bauer. Absolutely. I'm, right now, he's, he's wearing awesome. the crown. He's wearing the crown in my eyes. He's the king of this team, and without him, this team is nothing. And uh, and like I said, there's a lot of pressure on him that if he breaks, this team is broken. So everything's riding on Philip Grubauer. He's the most important piece of this team, and he's been handling it with such grace and style. Yes, and and it's I'll say it again. It's business as usual with Philip Grubauer. He will start Saturday, um, and I, and I'm excited to see where it goes with him this season. He's chosen a great time to play this good because it is a contract year for Grubauer, and that's a big big thing because he is approaching that age where, you know, goalies tend to start to reach their prime in those early thirty years. So I'm really curious to see what happens with him this summer, assuming that he plays this well and stays healthy all year. Yep, let's see how he plays in Lake Tahoe in the outdoor as well. I'm hoping the sun isn't too much glare, but yeah, everybody get excited, I guess. It is different. It is cool, um, but I don't know if it'll be that cool. So I hope everybody enjoys the game. I hope it ends up in an avalanche win, and I hope you know. I hope it's not too different from an, a normal hockey game to where you know this are, these are two points on the line. These yeah, absolutely, points. and these are two points on the line against a really good team, so I'm really – Really, really hard-pressed to say that the Avalanche are going to take this lightly. Um, and I think for once, they're going to win an outdoor game. That's my prediction. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to give a score prediction, but I will say the Avalanche will win this game. The Nordiques jerseys will be 1-0. and All right, I'm going to go the other way. I think they're going to be 0-3 in outdoor games. Yikes. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's just kind of my brand right now, right? I've been pessimistic yeah. the last couple podcasts, so I'm not going to stop now. Um, but, you know, they just don't have the time to be dropping more series you know, they've only won two series. They've tied four of them. So they really got to get to figuring out a way to win these series is because, you know, you don't want to go 500 into the playoffs and not feeling good about yourself. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I get that. We'll see what happens. Uh, I just want it to be a good game and I want it to come out without anybody getting injured. So thankfully, Ian Cole's not here to back his ass up into Grubauer and send him into the God knows what he did at Air Force last year, which feels like forever ago, but literally the one-year mark of that game was Monday, which is crazy to think. But yeah, I mean, that's all we got. I'm, I'm just really intrigued by this game. We'll see what happens, and we'll catch up with you guys, if not after the outdoor game, then after that game Monday for sure. I just hope everyone has fun. That being said, go out there and have fun. Hockey's for everyone. We out you.